listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, today we are bringing back your favorite episodic series that we haven't done in a little while. Remember what it is? Talking about myself. <laughs> That's your second <laughs> the, favorite. The, guy, the, the other no, guy... You, you, the other guy your, on the mic? Your, yeah, your third favorite topics are, are – that's your third favorite. Your second favorite is talking about me, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. Now, we're doing a peer story today, so we're actually really excited to welcome on a, a listener and someone who uh, produces his own podcast, someone who's been in both big firms and small firms and is currently a marketing consultant based out of Frankfurt, Germany, Flo Heinrichs. Flo, welcome to Rattle and Pedal today. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for, for having me on. I'm, I'm beyond honored for you to call this a peer story because I feel like I'm like peer is a, that's a big compliment to me. I'm, I'm having a fanboy moment because I feel like I owe quite a huge part of my education to both of you. <laughs> I've, You're in like trouble, you said, I've been a fan of your show like forever. I'm a forever fan, if you will. <laughs> I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. No, I'm time listener, first time Going from Seattle, Washington today. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I, no, he said something. He questioned whether or not he was a peer. And I, I think I know what he's saying there, but he's very much a peer because he shared in the BS of PS at the biggest <laughs> level, at the biggest level. So, so I guess I never thought that. about that. When we constructed the idea of peer stories years ago, was that essentially really what the peer was? Was this idea that you, you, you've joined a, a fraternity of sorts, a group of people? Yeah. Of joy have, and misery. Of shit. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, so anyway, we, we, when we set this up, what I thought was cool about having Flo on, what, what I wanted to kind of lean into first was, obviously, I want to let him make an introduction before we do that. But Flo, actually, not that long ago, was in a really large firm, and now he is in, really in a unit of one, right? A marketing consultant, working with a couple of peers as well. So I just would like to hear, you know, Flo, I'd like for you to just, as you introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about how you got into professional services marketing in the first place. I really want to hear that backstory. And then I want to hear about the journey, you know, to go solo, right? To kind of go, I'm going to go do this thing versus working in, you know, one of the most well-respected firms on the planet, which is where you were. So anyway, there's like seven questions there. I don't know if you can find one in there that you want to answer. That's right. So brief history of the universe in five minutes. I'll I'll try to keep it short. That's a dangerous sentence to use. I've been in professional services and marketing, if you will, for the entirety of what I call my career. I graduated university with a degree in actually linguistics, minor in psychology. That does not much. But I had also to sort of finance my way through university, worked as a copywriter in an ad agency. My condolences. Pretty, pretty mediocre one, I should say. I'll, I'll leave a few of the details up, but having worked in that space and having had some shops in B2B copywriting, I landed a one of those internships where they eventually give you a full-time job at Deloitte in the business development department, awesome. actually. Never got the full-time job because they lost a major client in Germany <laughs> due to that auditing rotation. I didn't really understand the industry back then, but I, I was told with a couple of colleagues <laughs> that... Our class, for lack of a better word, would not be taken on full board. So I wanted to stay in Munich, where I lived at the time, and took a job at an agency. And that's that's a space where I've served quite a bit of time, always working with professional services clients, management consulting firms in particular, IT services firms, and 
I even had licensing companies, which I think a more familiar term is patent trolls, which that is the most oh. weird communications job you can ever do. Mostly consists of not saying anything. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that aside, I ended up working at a PR agency in Frankfurt, which are serviced Accenture, uh, among other firms. And I eventually ran part of that account, not the entire company, but part of it in Germany. And then switched to agency one more time, had the pleasure of, for the shortest amount of time, ran actually an office for a mid-sized global firm here in Frankfurt. So a bit of P&L responsibility. And then Accenture called when I was ready for my next step and asked me back, like they, they hired me out of the agency world and into the firm. And that led to a four-year dance of both Accenture and myself trying to get used to each other, for, for lack of a better word. Like they clearly liked the skills I brought. And I was thrilled, obviously, to work for the brand, lots of fascinating colleagues. And I will say, it's, it's fun to wield big budgets and get to do massive projects on a global scale. But the reality of it is, it, it was, I think, in the end, not for me. I mean, I got promoted once. I was actually in line for promotion from senior manager to director. And when that became clear, I was like, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not entirely sure why, but I felt like you said something to this point, I think, Jason, early on. If you take on more and more responsibility inside marketing in the bigger firm, that just pushes you more towards the administrative layers. And then yeah. eventually, I'm guessing, being a business executive, but you don't do that much marketing anymore, which that's what I wanted to do. So decided to step out, do my own thing. And as I was preparing for it, it took me embarrassingly long to take the decision. But again, I stumbled across doing some market research, <laughs> stumbled across Prudent Paddle, stumbled across Rattleback, stumbled across your podcast and was like, uh, oh my God, other people are doing this and they're not, they're not, to Jeff's point, suffering more than necessary. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe I can do this over here, this side of the pond as well. And that's, that's how I got started. And that's where, where I'm today. Because you, you're right, I quit at Accenture almost a year ago. So I set out in April of 2021. First off, I want to thank you for the kind compliments that you gave us at the opening of this sequence. I didn't do a very good job of doing that. So thank you for all the nice things you said about our impact on your career, because that's obviously really, really kind. And I'm appreciative to hear that the work we've done over the last few years has been helpful. But I really want to lean into that last year. What was it like waking up one day and saying, okay, I'm not working for the, the largest IT services firm on the planet anymore. Now I, I'm going to hang out my own shingle. So, you know, was it scary? And how's it feel year on? It's been scary, but I'm, I would say I'm decent at that. Like, I'm not going to brag about my risk tolerance or anything because that's not true. But I, but I have, I tend to have a plan and then that sort of calms my nerves <laughs> to, to the level where I can do stuff. And the past year was about finding out where that plan was wrong in lots of places. Because I came out of Accenture and had a very clear view on what the issues are in marketing in big firms. And again, you know, part of that vocabulary to describe that I could borrow from, from your guys, although Jeff in that regard, right? That there's clear issues with the mindset or the productivity versus the growth tool, that kind of stuff. So I had, had some ideas around that and some ideas of what a market need might be. So I set out and said, okay, I can do this better than I was permitted to do in my last job. And I'm going to sort of package a process for around improving marketing inside large firms and sell that. And cutting that short, that did completely not work. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, do you want to tell him or should I that the second year learning what you do wrong is every bit as bad as the first year? 
when you're an entrepreneur? Well, it's I, I, I've been known to say, I don't know if I've ever said this on this podcast, but I've been known to say that a, a firm is nothing more than a ginormous collection of A-B tests. And I believe that pretty strongly in a lot of ways. And when you're first starting out, that's what it is. It's like, you're just testing like all the stuff to figure out, well, does this make sense? Is this the offer? Is this the need? Is this yeah. the solution? Is this the price point? Is this the packaging? So you know, it's endless, right? And that's, that's all you do for like the first year, try to figure out that marketplace resonance. So th- this is where I'm not going to compare myself to, to Jeff. And I honestly don't, don't know your offerings as well, Jeff, but I think w- where we are similar, because I know you have spoken about tilting against windmills before. So what I went out and tried to offer to big firms and because of my network and stuff I, I got a couple of projects and things so it wasn't completely bad but the truth of the matter is i was out there trying to sell change to people who are not very interested in buying that <laughs> to, to be very to be very there's no pain point around let's change our marketing organization in some of those very large firms for reasons you probably know better than i or, or i would have to to figure out about more about so I pivoted from that and I'm now, I can report that I'm quite happy working with uh, mid-sized shops and process there is again, also about fixing marketing, but it's for them, it's much more. I help clients now to bring what I call effective marketing in-house and do it there as opposed to having, you know, a freelancer who writes blogs and some person doing LinkedIn and then the business sort of shrugging their shoulders or sometimes taking a look to building systems in-house that sort of really build the marketing engine. That, that seems to work and resonate much better. And you speaking about me being afraid, I mean, the fear was that that's not where the budgets are, but I was mistaken. So you, you can find people who are willing to pay for that and who also can afford it. I think it's interesting you bring that up. I think there's a belief system in a lot of firms that larger companies imply larger budgets, and that's not always the case. And we see that in our client work a lot. Yeah. And I mean, we could get in a long discussion probably about also the velocity of the smaller deals, right? And th- there's lots to be said for the for the mid-market, I, I think, I'm discovering now. <laughs> also, a major idea was that in working for the, some of the big client projects, I found myself dealing with the same frustrations I had in my job in Accenture. I don't know if that makes sense. And these are not my words. A, a friend of mine s- summarized it and I thought it was brilliant. He said, yeah, you, you hate this stuff because you just get paid for giving a bunch of advice no one takes. And that's frustrating. And that, I mean, and that's different if you go to the mid-sized firms and you get to work with the owners directly and they are actually listening because they are interested in changing stuff, right? And so that, that dynamic tends to be much more satisfying, all, all that's left aside. Yeah. I love that you mentioned velocity and Jeff, I'll let you jump in, but just this idea that, cause, cause you're right. I mean, I, I think about our experiences working with huge global firms down to really small firms. And it is sometimes almost comical how long it takes some of those large firms to implement, you know, really basic advice. And you can, nine months later, you come back and, and they're like, yeah, we just successfully did X, Y, Z. And we're, yeah. Really? You just got that done? Like, what, what have you been doing for nine months? <laughs> Full well knowing there's a million other things going on. So it's like, we got all the shocked. approvals like, really? to finally get something that's not quite what you recommended as the <laughs> header image for the landing page. We still don't have the call to action button because our system doesn't put and so on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling liberated listening to these stories. And yeah, sorry to be to be clear to your listeners, right? I'm poking some fun, but I I hope I get to this because I like a year ago I was that person. 
<laughs> yeah. took my team two weeks to get a landing page up. And then we had to send it to legal before it go live. Yeah. And then you added you know, at the bottom, a two thirds of the page was, you know, microscopic type of all the reasons that why the landing page should not exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we have another section with all our Gartner quadrant placements? <laughs> <laughs> Sigh. <laughs> I guess we can. We're bemoaning the big firm life in terms of, you know, some of those key marketing things we do. But one of the things, and I would put Accenture solidly in this group that it does well, those big firms, is creating thought leadership and disseminating or producing and then disseminating big ideas. And you had a chance to work on some of those big ideas. What was that like? My jokes aside, right? There's lots to love about the firm and also the work there and the thought leadership projects you mentioned is that's just a thing of beauty because i think accenture like other firms of that size does a few things very well one of them being just the way the the stuff is structured right the fact that for example thought leadership research teams don't report into marketing they're reporting to the business right they have their own ideas and suggestions. And I got to work with, I, th- I think, a particularly brilliant team, <laughs> pissing off all the other teams inside Accenture. But I got to work on a bunch of thought pieces in the industry access realm with a team in India led by Raghav Narsale, which that team is quite brilliant. And I don't know if you've heard of him, but and I got to work with Dave Light, who was like the, and I'm going to yeah. butcher his title, but the, the principal... <laughs> demigod of leadership i don't know he's like he's like powerful journalists deep voice he's like six five and he's got this super deep awesome radio voice and he's brilliant i mean so because you'll you'll listen to take away some some value for this as well so so the fact that research reports into the business right that that makes the the projects impactful from the gecko so to speak the firm has the very firm handle on quality controls i don't want to disclose the whole thing but the general idea is you have almost like editorial advisory boards they are made up by people like dave light by senior people from the business for big projects even the chief accenture has or used to have i'm not up to date with the structure anymore the the chief strategy officer in the firm like these people would sit down and green light the the triple a pieces so there was significant quality gates to go through for major projects to be greenlit. And all that results in a machine that is capable of turning out, if all things go well, pretty powerful stuff. And that was just a situation before COVID. And then during COVID, which that was, or I mean, it's not over, right? So during COVID, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I think all large firms flipped the switch in terms of how much you can produce in a given time frame. <laughs> and boy, did we prove to ourselves that we can actually deliver and crank the handle, which funnily enough, that before that, that was part of my frustration. I mean, I joked about the four-week landing page, but the fact that any, I don't know, YouTube channel or podcast host gets to pump out five to six, you know, they do a podcast every week, five to six social posts, and then have someone turn the transcript into a blog or anything. And I was like, we're sitting here, we're a team of four people. Why does it take so long to do anything? And then Accenture sort of took care of that as well and found ways to really produce a lot of stuff. And I, can, I can't vouch for the quality of all of it, but the, I can attest to that they really yeah, built their muscle of not just quality, but also, I guess, frequency is the better word chopping up stuff into smaller pieces, changing development processes so that you have, you can start to publish as you build the major piece, all these things. That was quite good. That was quite, I took a lot of learnings from, from that part of it. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, 
divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, Principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. I loved hearing you talk about that because I, I had, you know, so many conversations with editorial leaders in that window of time and everyone described the same thing you just did. And I loved being able to hear it from the inside out, what it was like going through it as a marketer, right? So I want to hear you just just compare and contrast the challenges you see in marketing mid-sized firms that you maybe didn't expect or the advantages that you that you found in, in, in working with a, with mid-sized firms relative to you know, working inside of a really large firm. What's been different or, or maybe what surprised you? You're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I'd just love to hear for our leaders in mid-sized firms, what, you know, what, what's yeah. some, some things that you actually maybe brought to that, that group that, you, that surprised you? So I guess the, the obvious one is that if you are not a famous leading global consultancy brand, well, you're not a famous leading global consultancy brand. So <laughs> the marketing you do actually has to create some uplift for business operations. So there's an, in theory, at least the expectation, the pressure should be much higher. And I expected that. I expected the market to say, oh yeah, my goodness, finally someone who gets marketing in the sector, we need people. The reality of it is though, and here I can only speak to German firms exclusively because I haven't seen too many mid-sized businesses from elsewhere, but it's still very conservative and it's still very, a very sales-driven industry, the, the mid-sized segment here. So a lot of firms still go through this, I call it the Rolodex-based business development, right? The partners have a network and they sell to the network. And for some reason, that is enough to feed whatever the firm size is, you know, 30 people, 60 people, whatever. There isn't always that much appetite for growth, which in hindsight seems dumb to not have predicted that. But I was like, <laughs> that, that surprised me. I was like, no one here who wants to grow, <laughs> no takers. Yeah. And the reality of it is they, they want to, but they're very careful and deliberate about it, which, and I think that's a third learning, which might not surprise anyone, but the pressure on the, is very much more on the talent and recruiting side, right? You always have to have the two markets in mind. And if you don't have a famous global consulting brand, there will still be business for you, especially if you have highly qualified experts, you know, maybe with some industry background and so forth, that you'll always find work, I think. In Germany, I don't know. Don't want to paint it too in too bright colors, but the the recruiting pains are very real. I mean, they were pretty real in where I was at Accenture, but um, mid-sized companies here they're really struggling on on that end. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think even much more so in the last twelve months because just the marketplace has changed a lot for talent. So yeah, but I mean, those are some of the some of the interesting insights, and then. It's also interesting to see, I tend to land, maybe that's an age thing by and large. So the clients I get into conversations with now, they tend to be on the somewhat younger side. So they're my age, slightly older, and they are sometimes sort of second generations wrong, right? But they're just now stepping into this position where they're taking over. And these are my kind of people <laughs> because they have, they want to modernize and they say, okay, I can see how we should shift business development away from the Rolodex and towards something that is predictable is a difficult word in that context, but sort of more easy to plan and more easy to systematize and, and also lends itself better to scaling and growing 
you know, because if you do the Rolodex thing, the size of firm you can support is always constrained by your Rolodex. And some of the people I work with don't think that that should be the limit of what they can do. You know, it's interesting you say that. In the last 12 months, we've had inquiries from a handful of mid-sized firms. And what I've been so pleasantly surprised by is literally the thinking and the talent of the marketing units inside yeah. some of these mid-sized firms that I, had, I hadn't seen that level of caliber of talent in the marketing units seven, eight years ago inside of the, that size of firm. So much so that I've been shocked at how successful that they are as a marketing function and the types of things they're doing. And it's exciting. It's exciting to see like lots of really forward thinking ideas, digital ideas, thought leadership ideas flowing out of those teams. I wasn't seeing that seven or eight years ago. Now, again, Jeff knows I'll always like to say, but you know, my sample size is small. It's the, it's the clients and prospects I talk to in this particular instance. So that's a little bit self-limiting. Anyway, it's great to hear. That's great to hear. I think you see that when you start dealing with firms that are a little more progressive in, in general. You know, in years past, marketing was built from executive assistants, you know, becoming event managers and then CRM database managers. And yeah, I can, you know, run this event or whatever, where, you know, since we we've left the analog and gone to the digital, this the sophistication and the specialization is just so much more that I think the line has no choice but to rely on a more sophisticated and demand a more sophisticated marketing approach. At least those are the the way the top firms do it. Would you agree, Flo? I think that's true. And I think to to um, Jason's point, and I've seen this in Accenture because the I was, had a senior managing role in the Industry X business, which I mean you can find all that public information. Did do quite a few M and A deals, integrated a bunch of firms. And we always found that their marketing was much better than ours. This, this is my subjective <laughs> judgment, but uh, no, really, they were they were punching out their weight class in in markets which Accenture was interested in, which I guess was also part of the rationale behind the acquisitions. Yeah. Right? And and my theory there would be so so the talent comes into the large firms somewhat ironically from from the smaller ones, and and I think that that does make sense because if you the way I look at it is probably the pain or the need to have strategic marketing and to be good at this type of stuff is greatest in the middle of the market because the big firms get the RFPs anyways because everybody knows the brand. And then in the low end, you have these super specialized freelance consultants who they get their gigs through platforms, which now more and more corporate clients are comfortable using. And they often tend to be their advantages. They're often so specialized. You know, they have all the focus, they have all the, the the stopping power, which it's much more difficult to build if you have a bigger place. And then on top of that, a lot of those individual sort of consultants are quite savvy when, when it comes to marketing. Like they can do a podcast. They're not afraid to do video on YouTube or even try their hands at TikTok. So they have that advantage, right? They're more nimble. And it's the, the firms in the middle are either being squeezed or they find the talent and get the marketing part figured out. That's, that's sort of my view on this. I don't know. I think you're 100% spot on. I love the way you frame that. That's Jeff, a good assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Would would you be available to co-host a podcast flow, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> always always happy to jump in and help. I don't know what you, you seem to have all bases covered though. Would you need you need someone to read the ads in the break or what's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't try a German accent if I, 
<laughs> but mine's not very good. Uh, well, maybe you could share what you really think about Jason in German. Hey, I have a question for you, just to shift gears a little. Yeah. You've been a listener to Rattle and Pedal for, for a long time. Yeah. Do you have a favorite episode or guest that resonated with you? As that's hard to say because I can't map the ideas I took away to the episodes anymore, but mm. so, so try differently. I think from you, I stole this idea or I not, didn't steal it, but it's really, it's like, do you know this when you, when you see something or you feel something that you don't know what it is and then someone comes along and just gives you the words and you're like, yeah, that's it. So you, your growth school versus productivity school, mm-hmm. that, was, that was pretty much it. And then I think from Jason and Jason, I don't know if you brought this up in the podcast or if you wrote about it because I've picked up a couple of few pieces on the blog as well, but you had a line somewhere saying that there's only two problems in, in professional services world, which is the the big guys are so big, they have a hard time figuring out the one message that, you know, get, mm. gets positioning across. And the small guys are terrified of <laughs> focusing to the point where they would have such a message. And that is such a profound, I never thought about it that way, but that was such a profound truth. I was like, yeah, damn it. That's, I now use the word FOMO all the time, right? Fear of missing out. Like you, you've spoken about that at length in the podcast. And so. But other than that, I think all the insights you had into just the, the BS of PS side of things, like <laughs> this notion of politics and positioning in the firm and what are the motivations and the, or the motivation of structures and the incentives and so forth. I had thought about some of these issues, but I, I always came from a, let's say, a bit of an arrogant perspective of, well, marketing is just too shy and cumbersome to, to do this. Like if only we were to step up and own a business result and speak about this like we were a partner in the firm, right? You could push your marketing team to the often quoted table and so forth. And you really open my eyes to the fact that that's not entirely true, right? There's a lot of structural mm. underpinnings, which you could be the most business savvy loudmouth in the department and still could go nowhere because there's just there's mechanisms in the firm, you know, preventing you from that. Is that a good summary? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's good. Boy, I tell you, Jason, he made you sound smart there. (laughs) I really like the way he summarized your thinking. That was another good one. Hey, Flo, are you available for a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I said, if you need to, if you you feel you need to make a change or something. This guy's getting kind of insulting. I think it's it's his old age. He's wearing down. Yeah. No, so I'm speaking teasing. of old age, one of the things I, I love about peer stories is we get to bring on what I call young Turks, those people that are in big organizations and kind of shaking things up and pushing in ways that some people would call annoying, but I call it quite useful. And I'd be curious, Flo, what, what are you reading right now? What's shaping your thinking or who is shaping your thinking? In what direction is it shaping it? Uh, this, I, I do read a lot, so that might get a bit in a nerdy corner. So for fun, I do read science fiction without knowing much about it. Like I have friends recommending stuff to me. So I'm right now reading Anathema by, and I can't remember author's name, so I have to look it up. But the premise of the book is very compelling to me because it describes a far future on Earth where somewhat happened. So people have been so fed up with technology, they actually incarcerated they're tech people in cloisters where they can only do astronomy because all the sophisticated technology, and they must have had gene splicing and nanotechnology and all that stuff, is forbidden. And everyday people only use what you might say is like 1970s 
tech, like, you know, diesel-powered engines, like everything you might be able to repair yourself. That's still in broad use. And it's, it's a fascinating world depicted. And the, the idea that kept me reading it, which I found so intriguing, was these people had the internet, but they gave up on it because it became so full of commercial crap, no one could find anything useful in, in it anymore. So they still have it. They use it as an infrastructure for, like, running TV shows, but no one goes there anymore because no one... And, and this is where it starts to hit home to me. Like all the landing pages look the same, right? All the stuff yeah. is mechanical. Like every <laughs> message has been doled out 15 times. So there's no, and people are like, you know what? I need like a search filter on top of a spam bot, on top of a search filter. Just <laughs> fend off all the crap. Marketing and I was And I was reading this and I was reading this and I was reading this. It was like, remember websites when you could just read them without all the cookie consent pop-up box, leave your email he types that I think... <laughs> I think you said this on your show, how marketers ruin everything. Wasn't that a line from... That's that exactly what I said. That's our favorite episode. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing to the internet? So that, that, was my, that is my pleasure reading. And for in sort of quote-unquote business books, I mentioned this before, I, I just finished reading the, the, the Mom Test. And I really have to remember the names of people who write books, but that's essentially a guide to interviewing clients or prospects productively so you get actual insider information you could build a business on as opposed to just people who like you confirming the stuff you want to hear which is where many interviews of that sort land and that's actually that's really a skill i wanted to learn or i still want to learn i wanted to get better at these types of client interviews i don't know prospect yeah. interviews, whatever that's one that everybody should have and asking the hard questions or asking the right questions and then shutting up and listening to the answers and actually yeah, because I'm I'm fascinated by this idea, and this goes back to big firms and some maybe some of the disadvantages, like how far removed you can be in marketing department from the actual client yeah. servicing, and then to be maybe a bit unfair to the colleagues in the practice, they also if if you worked for Megacorp Inc. for ten years of your career and you made your career right, you, you made MD senior MD by building this account, you're also not seeing the entire industry. I mean, fictitious example, but in Germany, if you've been working for BMW and Volkswagen all your life as an automotive consultant, uh, you're probably not the guy who saw Tesla coming, right? Because you, did, you, didn't, you also yeah. didn't see the entire market. So I'm very fascinated by this idea, how can marketing teams get an ear on the ground in the markets their firms serve and really get and bring additional insight to the table instead of just relying on what they're being fed from the business, which is that's the way I've seen it go many years. I think that's one of the things which are probably a bit broken and need to be fixed. And for that, you have to be good at You know, it's interesting because there's a really nice article in Fortune, this last issue of Fortune about Volkswagen's electrical vehicle strategy. And what's interesting is one of the senior, well, I think it's the CEO, basically talks about how far behind they are on Tesla and how much catch up they have to do and how blindsided they were. And it's just really interesting only because, you know, it's hard to imagine that you know, a company that's what, 15 years old is further ahead than one that's one of the most storied brands in the space. And yet that's what essentially happened. And it's it's really interesting to get underneath that. And just and to your point, just just how frequently that can happen to companies and it can happen to every single firm that's listened to this podcast, right? Like you can get blindsided and not see it coming. And what are you doing to, to, to keep that from happening? So, and um, I mean, I think that's, that's, a mark, that's a service the marketing team can provide, right? A- Absolutely know the clients as well, if not better, as the business does, and then bring that so you can help the colleagues in the business to figure out things like, you know, messaging, offering development, 
all the good stuff. Don't don't just sit there pen and pencil and wait for them to impart the wisdom, but you know, you have to have an opinion of your own and that better be grounded in some facts. Not just, <laughs> yes. not yes. just something you read on Harvard Business Review because you know, clients read those as well and you're not gonna come across as very original if you build a campaign yeah. and that stuff. Some, some data as well. Yeah. All right. Well, we probably need to, to go to wrap here. So one quick, well, shameless plugs for you, Flo. So how do listeners get in touch with you and get in touch with Unbillable Hours? That's your podcast and yes. then your firm client friendly. So I'd say just best find me on LinkedIn. Name is First name is Florian. Last name is uh, Heinrichs. That's the German spelling. Can I spell that out? I probably can't. The company website is client-friendly.co. Uh, not com, but co, because com was already taken. I don't know who owns that. Hmm. Yeah, and the podcast is on is on Apple, Spotify, and I think on on LinkedIn as well. And it's That's good. It. It's I, good. I listen to it. They oh, have some great guests, and I like the way you manage your interviews as well. It's so approachable. I I think that's what I like about it the most. Is you're so relatable. You should have called it relatable. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make that joke with the unbillable hours and I just did. And I, this is, this is how sloppy I am in my own stuff. I did not Google it once because if I had, I would have figured that some gentleman has a legal podcast, like some law firm thing with the same name or very similar. And it's been on for ages and he's beating us in all the Google, but I don't care. I'm keeping it. <laughs> I think it's a great name. I think yeah, it's, it's a great, great name. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take us to wrap. We're at that time. So real quick, if anyone wants to join us on Pure Stories, we haven't done a Like I said, we haven't done a Pure Stories in a while, but if you want to, it's rattleandpedal.com slash Pure Stories, P-E-E our stories. And Flo, I just want to thank you so much for, for joining us today. It was really cool to catch up with you and really cool to hear about your journey into the mothership that is Accenture and out of it on the other side as a consultant, you know, working <laughs> yeah. with mid-sized firms. It's a really great story and it's a really great story. I, I, I act like it's a piece of fiction. It's a really great journey. And, and I really enjoyed hearing kind of your perspective on it. You know what? We, we have the coolest fans and Flo, I think you represent that you definitely do. And I think people will take away from your comments how intelligent Rattle and Pedal fans are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. And I have no doubt that you have fallen into where you should be in your career. And you are going to do incredibly well, incredibly well. And I wish you all the luck. Well, thank you for the very kind words. That means a lot. You just made my day at the end of my day, so to speak. They're very nice. <laughs> and thanks for having me on. That was fun. Cool. All right, Flo, we'll see you. Jeff, I'll talk to you uh, next week. See you, buddy. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.